present John Moffat as Hercule Poirot and Julia McKenzie as Ariadne Oliver in Agatha Christie's Elephants Can Remember. The whole strange, sad story began when my old friend Ariadne Oliver, celebrated author of ingenious detective stories, was invited to a literary luncheon for famous writers of the year. I'm always being invited to these kinds of affairs, and I, I never go. But I thought I would see what it felt like. After all, I wouldn't be expected to make a speech or anything like that. I've never been able to make speeches. I get all nervy and I stammer and say the same thing twice. I, I feel silly, and I probably look silly. Oh. Oh, I do hope I'm going to enjoy myself. And, in fact, Mrs. Oliver did enjoy herself very much. The food was excellent the company agreeable, and her books were praised. But then came what she always regarded as the moment of peril, when the company rose from table and moved off towards the chairs and sofas where anyone could strike without warning. Mrs. Oliver, what a pleasure. I've been dying to meet you for such a long time. I simply adore your books. Do come and sit down. There are so many things I want to ask you about. And this femme formidable seized Mrs. Oliver firmly by the elbow and conducted her to a table in the corner. There. Now we are settled. I don't suppose you know my name. I am Mrs. Burton Cox. Oh, yes. I, I don't think Reading I'd... your books, I have always been struck by your understanding of human nature. And I feel that if anyone can give me an answer to the question I want to ask... You will be the one to do it. Well, I'll do my best, of course, but I Now, really... you have a goddaughter, I believe. A gal called Celia Ravenscroft. Celia Ravenscroft? Oh, Celia. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> I'm afraid I haven't seen her for a long time now. I'm going to confide in you, Mrs. Oliver. Oh, really? You see, it's of the greatest importance to me because Celia is going to marry, or thinks she is going to marry, my son Desmond. Oh, really? At least that's their idea at present. And there is something I want to know. It's not the kind of thing I could ask a stranger. But I don't feel you are a stranger, dear Mrs. Oliver. Well, it's a long time since I... What I want to know is this. Did her mother kill her father? Or was it the father who killed the mother? Killed? You mean some kind of accident? Oh, no. It was not an accident. It was somewhere by the sea, Cornwall, I think. They were both found on the cliff top, and they'd been shot. But there was nothing by which the police could tell whether the wife shot the husband and then killed herself, or whether it was the other way round. They thought it must have been a suicide pact, but of course there were a lot of stories going about at that time. I'm afraid I really don't know anything about it. I do remember now that there was such a case, but I never knew anything at all about the details. But you write those wonderful stories. You know all about crime. I'm sure you could get people to tell you the story behind the story. I only write books. I'm not a private detective. But you could ask your goddaughter. You could ask Celia. Ask Celia? I don't see how I could do that. She must have been no more than a child when all this happened. I expect she knew all about it. Children always do. And I'm sure she'd tell you. Why don't you ask her yourself? Oh, I really couldn't do that. I don't think Desmond would like it. He's rather touchy where Celia is concerned. 
It would be much better if you were the one to ask her. I wouldn't dream of doing such a thing. But gracious, look at the time. I must fly. I have a really important appointment. Uh, goodbye, Mrs. Bertram Mills. Uh, sorry I can't help you. We arranged for her to come and see me that evening. I seem to remember that the lady rather likes a glass of kirsch, sir. Thank you, George. That will do very well. Oh, I, I knew it sounds mad. Well, I thought it was mad. Whether your goddaughter's mother had killed her father or whether her father had killed her mother. That's right. But was that a matter of fact? Well, it was something that really happened. They were both found shot. I, I can't remember much about it, but it created quite a sensation at the time. It must have been 12 years ago, at least. The wife had been at school with me, and I'd known her quite well. General Sir Alistair and Lady Ravenscroft. They're a very happy couple. They'd been all over the world together. Then they bought this house in Cornwall, and suddenly there was this story in the papers about them killing one another or whatever happened. I was in America at the time. But why should this woman want to know about it? Well, that's what I'd like to know. Sheer impertinence of her. I could probably get hold of Celia, but I haven't thought about her for years. One forgets about godchildren when they grow up, and Celia must be 25 or so. Not married? Well, no. Apparently she's supposed to be marrying the son of this Burton Cox woman. Ah, and Mrs. Burton Cox does not want her son to marry your goddaughter because her father killed her mother, or her mother killed her father. Well, I suppose so. It's the only thing I can think. Hmm, I see your dilemma. It is really quite intriguing. A woman you have never met before has put this problem to you without giving any discernible reason. Mm. Well, I might perhaps be able to find out a little. You mean through all those exciting friends you've got? Well, I would not call them exactly exciting, but there are friends who could go through the records and find out what was thought about the case at the time. Oh, and I'll track down Celia and check if she knows anything about any of this. Oh, and I'd better see this young man, Desmond, or whatever his name is. Yes, I think you should do that. Mm, and I suppose there might be people... Is it likely that anyone would remember after all this time? They might. What we need is a few elephants. Pardon? Did you say elephants? <laughs> People who are like elephants. You know what they say, elephants never forget. <laughs> People who will remember things that everyone else has forgotten about. Who may have known the Ravenscroft when they were abroad or, or before they moved to Cornwall. I think I might be able to scratch up a lot of things from people I knew who knew them. Or am I just being a nosy Parker like this Burton Cox woman? Oh, no, 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 no. You have been given an assignment, even if it is by someone you instinctively dislike. No, follow your own path, the path trodden by your elephants. And who knows? Some of them may remember. <laughs> So I rummaged through Tallboys and shelves and cupboards for my old address books. Books I had not seen for years. By the time I'd gone through them all, I had quite an assembly of elephants. And then I set to work to find Celia. I finally tracked her down to a telephone number in Islington and invited her round for an early evening drink. Now, 
would you like a sherry or, or something else? Sherry, please. Uh, I, I suppose it must seem rather odd to you, my ringing out of the blue like that. I don't know that it does particularly. I'm afraid I'm not a very conscientious godmother. Why should you be at my age? I suppose one's godmotherly duties do come to an end after a time. <laughs> I don't even remember coming to your confirmation. <laughs> Here you are. Thank you. Now, I'd better tell you the reason why I've been trying to get hold of you. The whole thing is really rather distasteful. Hmm. Sounds intriguing. You see, I happened to go to a literary lunch the day before yesterday, and a woman came up and spoke to me. I, I didn't know her. She didn't know me. But she said, I believe you have a goddaughter called Celia Ravenscroft. Well, that was a bit odd. Hmm. Was she a friend of mine? I don't know. She said her name was Mrs. Burton Cox. Oh. And she said she thought her son wanted to marry you. And do you want to know whether that's so? No, I don't particularly want to know. But she said because you were my goddaughter, I might be able to ask you to give me a piece of information, which I was clearly meant to pass on to her. What information? Well, I don't suppose you will like what I'm going to say. I, I don't like it at all myself. She said... Can you find out if her father murdered her mother or her mother murdered her father? She asked you that? Yes. And she didn't know you, apart from being an authoress and being at the party? She didn't know me at all. You knew what she was talking about? Well, I know, I suppose, what anyone would know who was acquainted with your family. That my father and mother, after he had retired from the army, bought a house by the sea. That they went out for a walk along the cliff path that they were found there, both of them shot dead. There was a revolver lying between them that belonged to my father. There was nothing to show whether it was a suicide pact or whether my father killed my mother and then shot himself or the other way round. But perhaps you knew that already. I knew it after a fashion. It happened about 12 years ago, didn't it? About that, yes. At that time, I was on a lecture tour in America. I simply read about it in the papers. I had known your father and mother when we were much younger, especially your mother, because of being at school with her. And she did ask me to be your godmother. But after that, they went abroad somewhere. They went to Malaya. Ah, yes. Well, although I saw very little of them, I did see you occasionally. You used to take me out to shows and things. And give me lovely food. <laughs> you were an unusual child. You liked caviar. I still do, though I don't get offered it very often. <laughs> but this Burton Cox woman, why does she want to know? Surely it's no business of hers. Everything's her business. But let's get one thing straight. Are you asking what she wanted you to ask me? You mean whether your father shot your mother or vice versa? Yes, but what I really want to know is whether you're going to go back and tell her. No, quite definitely no. I've already told her I wouldn't dream of asking you. Oh, I don't mind telling you what I know, such as it is. You needn't. I'm not asking you. I know you're not. But the answer is nothing. Nothing? After all, I wasn't there. I was at a pensionnat in Switzerland. Was there anyone living in the house with them at the time? There was an elderly woman they called the housekeeper, though she didn't actually live in. And there was a foreign girl who'd been my governess and who'd come back to look after my mother because she'd just come out of hospital. And there was an aunt who I never liked very much. I don't know whether she was there. But I can't imagine that any of them would have wanted to kill my parents. 
I hope I haven't distressed you by bringing up all this. You haven't distressed me. But what I have come to realise is that I don't know what my mother and father were really like, how they lived and what mattered to them. And I would like to know how they died and why they had to die like that, because then I shouldn't have to think about it anymore. You mean you do think about it? Yes. I think about it nearly all the time now. I'm getting to have a thing about it, if you know what I mean. And I know Desmond feels the same. The following day, I had lunch in a quiet restaurant off Fitzroy Street with an elephant of my own. An elephant my old friend Superintendent Spence had tracked down for me. I'm retired now, of course. But one remembers certain things. Things that the general public has long forgotten. Chief Superintendent Garraway was a tall, thin, rather ecclesiastical-looking man who had been the officer in charge of the original investigation. And I certainly remember the Ravenscroft case very well. It wasn't an easy one to forget. You mean there were discrepancies, uh, alternative theories? No, nothing of that kind. All the evidence supported the visible facts, and yet... Yes? It was all wrong. I felt sure of it. But there wasn't anything I could do. The deaths had all the marks of a suicide pact, but in most cases, one has some idea of why it happened. And in this case, there was no real idea, is that it? Yes, that's it. They were a middle-aged couple living happily together. They went for walks with a dog, played piquette and poker patience with each other in the evenings. The children caused them no anxiety. The boy was away at public school, the girl at a pensionnat in Switzerland. What exactly happened on the day of their death? They went for a walk and took the revolver with them. So that it couldn't have been a spur-of-the-moment decision. There were blurred fingerprints that showed that both of them had handled it. But there was nothing to show which of them had actually fired the shots. So why? The trouble was I simply didn't know anything about them. You mean the reason may have lain uh, somewhere in the past? That's what I wondered. But where was I to look? Was it something that had happened before they married or during their time out in Malaya? So, who was in the house when the shooting happened? I've made out a list. Uh, There was a Mrs. Whitaker, an elderly cook housekeeper, but it was her day off, so we couldn't get much from her. Uh, There was a young foreign woman staying there who had been a governess to the Ravenscroft children once, but she wasn't able to contribute anything very much. And there was a gardener who wasn't much used to us either. But a stranger might have come from outside... uh... A stranger from the past. Is that your idea? Just a theory. But there was no evidence of any kind, and so we had to settle for the idea of a suicide pact. Georges, I am expecting Mrs. Oliver to arrive at any moment. She will probably be exhausted after chasing her elephants. Rarely, sir. If you would be so good as to prepare coffee. Yes, Monsieur Poirot. And uh, some petit four. I rather think I ordered some recently from Fortman Mason's. And a liqueur of any kind, sir? Um, creme de menthe, perhaps. And my usual syrup de cassis. Let me tell you a few of the things I've gathered. Mm. Ah, have a petit four. Oh! Oh, thank you. Sweet things give you a lot of vitality, I always think. Mm. 
Oh, delicious. So, I started off with the Honourable Julia Carstairs. I reckon she was bound to remember the Ravenscrofts. They moved in similar circles. She must be 80 if she's a day, and lives in a grace and favour apartment at Hampton Court. But it took me some time to steer her round to the matter in hand. Oh, yes. The General had a very distinguished career, didn't he? His wife was called Margaret, I think. We always called her Molly at school. Ah, uh-huh. uh, she used to wear a wig. I'm not sure she didn't try to persuade me to get one. She said it was so useful when you went travelling abroad. She had several of them, including a special one for evening wear. Was she wearing a wig when she was shot? I've really no idea. I mean, if you were going to shoot your husband, you wouldn't wear a wig, would you? Do you think she did shoot him? Well, there are a lot of stories going the rounds. About him or her? They said he was involved with some young woman who did some kind of secretarial work for him. He was writing his memoirs and she used to take dictation from him. She wasn't very young. She wasn't particularly good-looking, but people said that he might have shot his wife because he wanted to marry her. Not that I really believed it. What do you think? Well... I did hear from some cousins of mine who got to know them in Malaya that she was embroiled with some man or other. But there was nothing nearer home. You know, I can't help thinking that there might have been. The wigs, for one thing. I don't see how the wigs come into it. Well, wanting to improve her appearance. And she always wore a good deal of makeup. So it might have been a crime of jealousy. It's, it's quite possible. What kind of handbag was she carrying? Uh, I've no idea. You see, if she were going to get rid of him, she would have had to have taken the revolver with her in her handbag, so it would have had to have been quite roomy. One has to think of the practical side of things. The difficulty is that although people may remember what happened, they have no idea why. They are simply inventing a solution to something they really know nothing about. I, I did get something from my old nanny, though. Uh, do you mind if I have another petit four? Oh, please help yourself. Uh, thanks. Um, she used to tell me about people she'd met in the services abroad, India, Siam, and so forth. So I went to see her because I was certain she must have run into the Ravenscrofts, or at least heard about them. She came up with a very strange story. I was out there in Malaya when it happened. Naturally, I wasn't mixed up in it myself, but I shall never forget it. Mind you, they said she'd always been queer ever since she was a child. She took a baby out of its pram and threw it into the river. Well, jealousy, some said. Other people thought she wanted the baby to go to heaven and not have to wait. Is it Lady Ravenscroft, you mean? Well, that's what they said. Apparently she'd been in a kind of mental place ever since she was 11 or 12 years old. But then they decided she was all right again. And so she got married to someone in the army. But her husband died and she went out to Malaya. And that was when it happened. What happened? There was a little girl who'd come to play that afternoon. And it was just like the time before. Mind you, there were some who said it wasn't her at all, but the Amar that did it. But the Amar had been fond of the child and was very upset. But it can't possibly have been Lady Ravenscroft. She went out to Malaya with her husband and her children were... I'm only telling you what they told me. Well, I suppose it might have been her sister and they got muddled, or the husband's sister. 
Whoever she was, they took her back to England after that, and I never heard what became of her. I haven't thought about it for years. Do you think I could have a tiny glass of creme de menthe? Of course, madame. <laughs> of course, there's no way it could have been Molly. It's quite ridiculous. Uh, did she or the general have a sister? I don't know about him, but Molly certainly did. One of my elephants remembered her. Oh, thank you. Mm. Mm. Delicious. And if that frightful Burton Cox woman has somehow got wind of the stories about the attacks on the children... Uh, one does not necessarily know that the stories are true. No, of course one doesn't. But it might have set her wondering whether there was some streak of madness in Molly and whether she might have shot her husband, in which case Celia might have inherited some kind of homicidal gene. Whereas if it was the general who killed Molly, it would be all right. You mean she would think that inherited insanity could only pass through the female line? Well, she didn't strike me as a very clever type of woman. Hmm. And did your elephantine researches produce any other theories? Oh, yes. Mrs. Buckle, who used to work for the Ravenscrofts two or three mornings a week when they lived in Cornwall, had a far more down-to-earth explanation. <laughs> she thought the gardener might have done it. Whizzle. His name was Fred Whizzle. I gather he'd been in prison once or twice earlier in his life. But the general was very keen to give him a second chance. And, of course, leopards don't change their spots, do they? You mean the general caught him doing something he shouldn't have been well, doing? He was cheating him, or something like that, and he was going to sack him. Were the Ravenscrofts in good health during the time you worked for them? Well... General was starting to feel his age a bit. He'd had some heart trouble or a slight stroke or something of the sort. And Lady Ravenscroft? She'd been in hospital for an operation of some kind, though she never told me what it was. And how was she when she came back from hospital? Well, I thought she looked livelier, if anything. And, of course, she looked very pretty in those wigs of hers. They always suited her. Her children were away at the time of the shooting, weren't they? That's right. The daughter, what was her name now? Celia. She's my goddaughter. Of course she is. I remember you coming and taking her out. Oh, but she was in Switzerland when it happened, I'm glad to say, because it would have been a terrible shock for her if she'd been at home and discovered them. And there was a boy, too, wasn't there? Oh, yes, Master Edward. But he wasn't at home at the time of the murder. No, he'd been sent back to school early for some reason. And there was a sister, wasn't there? Yes, there was, but she wasn't there either. I have an idea that she was a half-sister, though she did look rather like Lady Ravenscroft. Oh, there was always a bit of trouble when she came for a visit. She was one of those people who do like stirring things up. She said things to annoy people. Was Lady Ravenscroft fond of her? Well, if you ask me, I don't think she was, really. I think her sister more or less wished herself onto her, and she found her pretty trying to have a round. The general quite liked her, I think. They, they used to play chess together sometimes. Did you like her? If you don't mind my saying so, I didn't care for her at all. A born troublemaker. But as I say, she hadn't been down there for some time when the tragedy occurred. I still think it was Fred Whistle. A little more creme de menthe. Love some, thanks. <laughs> In the end, we keep coming back to the same question. Why? Why were the deaths of these two people necessary? They appear to have been happy. 
And despite that story about the gardener, I do not seriously believe that anyone bore a grudge against them. But there must have been some reason. Oh, yes, yes, I am sure there was. But how can one really know what happened when one is separated from these people by such a gulf of years? Oh, do you think we ought to give it all up? Mm, I believe it would be very wise to give it up, but... Ah, there comes a time when one no longer wants to be wise. Mm. I have an interest now in this couple and their nice children. I suppose they are nice children? I don't really know Edward at all. I, I don't even know whether he's in England. But I could arrange for you to meet Celia, if you like. Yes, I would like to meet her, if you can find some way to bring it about. And there is someone else I would like to see. Who is that? Your nosy Parker friend. Mrs. Burton Cox. Mm. She's no friend of mine. Oh, but you could resume your acquaintance with her? Oh, quite easily. I would think she'd probably jump at it. I should like to find out why she wants to know these things. Yes. Yes. I suppose that might be useful. Your chocolate, Monsieur Poirot. Thank you, George. And there's a message from a Desmond Burton Cox. Ah. He wishes to make an appointment to come and see you. He had been hoping to get in touch with Mrs. Oliver, but he has been given to understand that she is away hunting elephants, and so he has applied directly to you. Very good. Now, would you be so kind as to inform Miss Lemon of all this and arrange a time for the young gentleman to come and see me? Certainly, sir. Any uh, time tomorrow would be perfectly suitable, although perhaps not too early. It's going to be rather difficult to explain, I'm afraid. Ah, uh, many things are difficult to explain, but uh, thank you. do not worry. We have plenty of time. You're a detective, aren't you? I mean, you find things out. People come to you and ask you to find things out for them. Yes, that is one of my tasks in life. Well, I don't suppose you know anything about me. I know a little. You mean from your friend, Mrs. Oliver? She had a meeting with a goddaughter of hers, a Miss Celia Ravenscroft. Yes, Celia told me about that. But this Mrs. Oliver, does she know my mother very well? I believe she hardly knows her at all. According to Mrs. Oliver, your mother approached her at a literary luncheon and made a rather unusual request. She had no business to do so. Now, I understand there is the possibility of a marriage between you and Celia Ravenscroft, perhaps in the near future? Yes, but that's no reason why my mother should go around approaching total strangers with outrageous questions. Tell me, are you very much attached to your mother? No, I wouldn't say that. You see... As a matter of fact, she really isn't my mother at all. Ah, I had not understood that. I'm adopted. Oh. She had a son who died when he was a little boy, so she decided to adopt a child and she brought me up as her own. She always speaks of me as hers and thinks of me as hers, but I'm not. We've nothing in common. We don't look at things in the same way. Of course not. Why should you? I don't seem to be getting on with what I wanted to ask you. You want me to find out something, and I presume that something concerns Celia Ravenscroft. Yes, well, that does cover it. I don't know whether you know about, well, what all the trouble is about. I know it concerns the death of Miss Ravenscroft's parents. Nobody seems to know exactly what happened. But I don't see why we should get so worked up about it. 
and it's certainly no business of my mother's. And she's got Celia into a state where she doesn't really know whether she wants to marry me or not. And what about you? Do you still want to marry her? Yes, of course I do. In fact, I'm absolutely determined to marry her. But she won't agree to our marrying until she finds out exactly what happened all those years ago. And she thinks my mother knows something about it. Did you know General and Lady Ravenscroft personally? Well, I may have met them when I was a child, but I don't really remember. But I've known Celia more or less all my life. Her parents were in Malaya, and so were mine. I think they must have met out there. And is your father still alive? No. He died out in Malaya. But it was while they were out there that my mother heard rumours about the Ravenscrofts, and she keeps hinting at things that can't possibly be true, but she's got Celia worried sick about it all. Tell me about these rumours concerning the Ravenscrofts. Lady Ravenscroft was supposed to have been in a mental home. There's something to do with a child who died in an accident of some sort. It's probably nothing but gossip. You know how they get together. All the servants have a good old chinwag saying things that can't possibly be true. Am I right in thinking that Celia feels she cannot marry you until she is quite sure there is no mental flaw passed on to her by her mother? It's been put into her head by my mother. And I have a nasty belief that my mother wants there to be a suspicion of insanity in her heredity. <sighs> it will not be an easy thing to investigate. Whom do you suggest I should question? Well, I don't mean I want you to go out to Malaya or anything like that. Oh. <laughs> I, I doubt whether there's anyone out there who would still remember. But there are two people in Switzerland who might know what happened and why. But if that is the case, why do you not go to them yourself? Well, I could, I suppose. But I know I wouldn't be able to ask them some of the things I want to ask. And, and I don't think Celia would either. You see, they're very nice people, and I wouldn't want to make them feel guilty. Why should they feel guilty? Because they might have been able to do something to prevent what happened, but didn't or, or couldn't. I, I'm afraid I'm putting this rather badly. No, 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 no. You are doing very well. Tell me, does Celia agree with you about approaching these people? I haven't said much about it to her. You see, she was very fond of Maddie and Zelie. Hmm? Maddie and Zelie? When Celia was quite a child, at the time when we used to stay next door to one another, she had a French... Well, I suppose nowadays we'd call her an au pair, but people said governess then, a French governess, a, a mademoiselle. And she played with all of us children, and Celia always called her Maddie. Short for mademoiselle? Yes. And you being French, uh, you uh, see... No, I... no, no. Belgian. Oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> But, but you know what I mean. I thought she would tell you things she might not talk about to other people, you speaking the same language, you see. Mm, and the other name you mentioned, uh, Zelie, I think you said. She was another mademoiselle. She came after Maddie had gone back home to France or Switzerland or wherever it was. Uh, she was younger than Maddie. Celia called her Zelie. Also short for mademoiselle? Oh, I suppose it was. <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> Oh, she was very pretty and, and played games with us, and we were all frightfully fond of her. And so was General Ravenscroft, I believe. And uh, Lady Ravenscroft? Oh, she was devoted to Zelie, and, and Zelie was devoted to her. That's why she came back again. Came back? Yes, when Lady Ravenscroft was ill and came out of hospital, Zelie came to stay as a sort of companion to her and looked after her. I believe 
In fact, I'm almost positive that she was at Overcliff at the time of the tragedy. And so, you see, she'd almost certainly know what really happened. And do you have her address? Uh, you know where she is now? Oh, yes, I know where she is. I've got both their addresses. They're living in Switzerland. Not together, of course, but, but you could go and talk to Maddie as well as Zelie. I know it's a lot to ask, but I believe our happiness depends on it. George, Superintendent Garraway is coming to see me this evening. Uh, what should I give him to drink? Is he still a serving officer, sir? No, George, he retired long ago. If he were a serving officer, I would have recommended a bottle of beer. But seeing this is not the case, a whiskey and soda would probably be best. Very sound advice, George. I myself shall have a syrup of blackcurrant. Well, here's to suicide. It was suicide, then. What else could it have been? Anyway, I've been doing my best to sort out all the things you asked me about. I'm sorry to have put you to so much trouble. I am like the elephant's child in the story by your Mr Kipling. I suffer from an insatiable curiosity. But what intrigues me is the way you go from one thing to another. Doctor's reports, who expected money, makers and suppliers of wigs... I've made a note about the last one. The person you're looking for is a Madame Rosentel. Used to have premises in Sloane Street, but moved some years ago now and has a place in Cheltenham. Calls herself hair stylist and beautician these days. Same man, different hat, as they used to say when I was young. Aha! What do you mean, aha? I am immensely obliged to you. You have presented me with an idea. How strange it is, the way ideas arrive in one's head. You've too many ideas in your head already. You don't need any more. Uh, now then, I've checked as thoroughly as I can on the Ravenscroft family history, uh, gone back through the files, and you're quite right about Lady Ravenscroft being one of twin sisters. Uh, Dorothea and Margaret Preston Grey, known colloquially as Dolly and Molly, identical twins. Cut their first tooth on the same day, both got scarlet fever on the same day, fell in love with the same kind of man, got married at about the same time, both had husbands in the army. There was an early tragedy, though, connected with one of them. Lady Ravenscroft? No. Dorothea, uh, Dolly. She married a Captain Jarrow and had two children. The younger one, a boy of four, was hit on the head with some kind of child's garden toy, a spade or something of the sort, and fell into an artificial pool and was drowned. Apparently it was his elder sister, a child of nine, who did it. Doesn't seem much doubt about it, but a story got around that the mother did it, got angry and hit him. Not that it has much bearing on a suicide pact entered into by the mother's sister and her husband many years afterwards. Nevertheless, one likes to know the background. Where was Dorothea Jarrow at the time of the suicide? I understand she was not in the house. No. She died about three weeks beforehand. And that's a strange story, too. <laughs> uh, a little more whiskey, perhaps? Well, I wouldn't say no. The funny thing was, she was staying at Overcliff. Uh, with the Ravenscrofts? Yes. Apparently she walked in her sleep, had done for years, it seems. She'd had one or two minor accidents before on that account. On this occasion, 
She wandered along a path by the edge of the cliff, lost her footing and fell to her death. Yeah. Oh, thanks. She must have been killed instantly. They didn't find her until the next day. And how did Lady Ravenscroft react? Oh, she was completely devastated. She had to be taken to hospital, suffering from shock. Is there any possibility that the Ravenscroft suicide could have had a connection with this tragic accident? Oh, there's never any suggestion of such a thing. Excuse me, can you come round to tea or sherry at about half past five tomorrow afternoon, Monsieur Poirot? I've got Celia coming, ah. and later on there will be Mrs. Burton Cox. Oh. That is what you wanted, isn't it? Yes, madame, that is exactly what I wanted. I shall look forward to it with considerable interest. Au revoir, chère madame. That's perked you up a bit. Made a step forward. The possibility of Two steps forward, and something to stimulate the little grey cells. I don't suppose Celia will stay very long, but you did say you wanted to meet her. Oh, yes, yes, it is most important. I must get to know her a little before I can solve the enigma of her parents' death. I can understand that, but why on earth do you want to meet Mrs. Burton Cox? She's, she's nothing but a nosy Parker. Because I am interested to learn why she wanted you to find out these things. She must have some motive stronger than mere curiosity. Why is she so anxious to safeguard her son, who is not her son? What do you mean, not her son? He is adopted. Adopted because her own son died. <sighs> How did her own child die? That I do not know. You mean there might be some link between her lost son and the Ravenscrofts? Uh, who was his father? That, madame, I do not know either. But it raises possibilities, does it not? Oh, uh, that will be Celia. Uh, you're sure this is a good idea? You do want to meet her? Oh, yes. The question is, will she want to meet me? I didn't expect there to be anyone else here. I don't know whether... Let I... me introduce you. Uh, this is Monsieur Hercule Poirot, whom I've asked to help me, and in helping me, he will be helping you, too. I see. I think I've heard of you. Mm-hmm. Most people have. Please sit down, mademoiselle. Very well. Let me tell you this much about myself. When I take up an investigation, I pursue it to the end. I will bring to light the truth about your parents' death. And if it is the truth you want, then I will deliver that knowledge to you. But it may be that what you are looking for is reassurance, and that is not the same as the truth. You don't think I'd care to face the truth, is that it? I think that the truth might turn out to be an unpleasant shock. And you might say, Oh, why did I not leave all this behind me? Why did I ask to know? No. I want the truth. I'm quite capable of living with the truth. You saw Desmond, didn't you? Yes, he came to visit me. Uh, did you not wish him to do so, mademoiselle? He didn't ask me. And if he had, what would you have said? I don't know. I don't know whether I should have encouraged him or told him to keep his nose out of it. What did you think of him? I thought he was a very attractive and likeable young man. Yes, I rather think that too. But there is something I must know. If you and he want to marry, does it really matter to you what happened all those years ago? 
What difference can it make to either of you whether the death of your parents was a double suicide or something quite different? Did Desmond tell you that he was an adopted child? Yes, mademoiselle, he did. So why did Mrs Burton Cox worry Mrs Oliver with her stupid questions and ask her to find out things? Does Desmond care for her, do you think? No. I'd say on the whole that he dislikes her. I suspect he always has. Is Desmond provided for financially? I believe some money was settled on him when he was adopted. It wasn't a fortune, but he'd be able to support me. To support a wife. And does he know who his real mother is? Presumably Mrs. Burton Cox does. He's never mentioned it. I suppose he might have been an illegitimate child. They're usually the ones put up for adoption, aren't they? She might have known something about his real father or his real mother. And was Mrs. Burton Cox acquainted with your mother and father? She might have run into them, I suppose. They were all out in Malay at roughly the same time. Did you yourself meet her when you were a child? I'm pretty sure I didn't. The reason why I got to know Desmond is that we were boarded out with people who took in children for the holidays, and both our families were abroad at that time. When we met again, at university, we only knew one another by our Christian names. I really didn't know anything very much about Desmond, except that he was very good at climbing trees. But then, I don't really know anything about myself either. And I want to know. How can you get on with living your life if you don't really know about the things that made you what you are? So, do I take it that you have answered my question, mademoiselle? You wish me to continue with my investigation? Yes, if it's going to produce any results. Though, I think it all comes back to the plain fact that we're not talking about the story of a life, but about the story of a death. That's to say, of two deaths. There's a line in Shakespeare or somewhere. In death, they were not divided. I suspect that's all there is to say. I suspect I may be able to find out a little more than that, mademoiselle. Do you usually succeed in finding out things? Oh, yes. I usually do. So, what do you think of her? Uh, she certainly has a very positive personality. Definitely a most interesting young lady. But I would like you to tell me about her mother, Lady Ravenscroft. We were at a sort of pensionnat together in Paris. People used to send their girls there to be finished, though I've always thought that sounds more like an introduction to a graveyard than an introduction into society. And this uh, Molly um, Preston Gray, that was her name, yes? Yes. Was she a personality like her daughter? No, I don't think she was. I think Molly was more more emotional than Celia. Ah. Now, would that perhaps be Mrs. Burton Cox? Bang on time. Well, here we go. How very kind of you to ask me to call. Ah, good evening, good evening. Please, do come in. What a delightful place you have. And so charming of you to spare me a little of your invaluable time. Oh, I want to introduce you to Monsieur Hercule Poirot, Mrs. Burton Cox. Good evening, madame. Good evening. I think he is the only person who might be able to solve the little mystery you talked about the other day. Oh, really? I cannot tell you how many friends of mine he has assisted and how many... I may call them mysteries, he has elucidated. You mean that this gentleman is a detective? 
I suppose that is one way of describing my activities, madame. No, please, do sit down. What will you have? It's far too late for tea. A glass of sherry, perhaps? Oh, thank you. That would be very kind, Monsieur Poirot. I, too, will take a glass of sherry. I have already indicated to Monsieur Poirot the particular inquiries you were so concerned to make. How very good of you to prepare the ground, Mrs. Oliver. Uh, you see, monsieur, these young people are so difficult nowadays. My son is such a dear boy, and I have great hopes of him having a brilliant future before him. And then there is this girl, Mrs. Oliver's goddaughter. Well, of course, one never knows. Oh, thank you. Monsieur Poirot. Thank you, madame. I mean, it's so important to know about people's antecedents. Oh, of course, I'm aware that Celia's a very well-born gal and all that. But there's no escaping the fact that there was this tragedy. Now, I understand from my friend, Mrs. Oliver, that you wanted to know specifically... What you said you wanted to know was whether Celia's father shot her mother and then himself, or whether Celia's mother shot her father and then... I feel it makes a difference. Hmm. A very interesting point of view. I take it it is your son's interest that you are trying to safeguard? Well, yes. In a marriage, I'm sure you agree, monsieur. One has to think of the children. The children that are to come, I mean. I think we now realise that heredity counts far more than environment. And there are certain very grave risks that one might not want to take. But it is the people who undertake those risks who should make that decision. Your son and Mrs. Oliver's goddaughter. It will be their choice. Oh, uh, uh, I know, I know. Parents are never allowed to interfere or give advice. But I would like to know something about it. I would like very much to know. Perhaps I'm being foolish, overprotective about my dear son. But mothers are like that. If you feel you could undertake any investigation, please let me know. Oh! oh. But just look at the time. I'm late for another appointment. I'm sorry, my dear Mrs. Oliver, to run away so soon, but you know how difficult it is to find a taxi at this time of evening. I'm sure Mrs. Oliver has your address, monsieur. Uh, please take my card. Ah, yes. Thank you. Monsieur Hercule Poirot. You are French, is that right? I am Belgian. Ah, Belgique. I quite understand. I'm so pleased to have met you. But I really must fly. Don't worry, dear Mrs. Oliver. I'll find my own way out. Thank you again. Au revoir. Well, what do you make of that? What do you? She ran away. You frightened her clean away. Yes, but in what way, I wonder? She wants to dig up something nasty about the Ravenscrofts, but she doesn't want you to carry out a thorough investigation. There is something she does not want to come to light. Something that concerns only herself. There is a private reason why she does not want Desmond to marry your goddaughter. And are you going to find out what it is? Oh, naturally, if I can. So, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? You, cher madame... I think you should go to Cheltenham. Cheltenham? Why on earth should I want to go to Cheltenham? I want you to find out about the wigs. The wigs? Oh, you mean Molly's wigs? There were four of them, and that seems perhaps a little excessive. And so, I want you to go to Cheltenham to this address, 
And there you will find a Madame Rosenthal, a woman no longer young, who, I believe, supplied Lady Ravenscroft with her wigs. And I would like you to find out all about them. And do you think she'll remember? Mm -hmm. Elephants can remember. Or so you are always telling me. Cheltenham turned out to be a most agreeable surprise. It had a feeling of traditional English security about it. Houses that were proper houses. Antique shops that sold genuine antiques. And when I eventually tracked down Mrs. Rosenthal in her hairdressing establishment, she actually knew who I was. I'm such a lover of your books, Mrs. Oliver. I must have read a dozen of them at least. And now here you are, in person. Oh. <laughs> now, tell me, how can I help you? Is it something to do with one of your stories? Oh, no, nothing like that. I wanted to talk to you about something that happened a great many years ago. It's to do with a friend of mine. Oh, I see. I was at school with her, and then she married and went out to Malaya and came back to England when her husband retired. And it all had a rather tragic ending, I'm afraid. I'm so sorry. But one of the things that people found rather surprising was that she had many wigs, and I think they had all been supplied by your establishment when you were in London. And what was the name of this friend of yours? Well, her name when I knew her was Preston Gray, but her married name was Ravenscroft. Oh, Lady Ravenscroft. Yes. Oh, yes, I remember her very well. She was so nice and really very, very good-looking still. And I remember reading about the tragedy in the paper and there were pictures of them both and I said to myself, why, that's our Lady Ravenscroft. It seemed so sad. I heard they discovered she had cancer and they couldn't do anything about it. And she couldn't face living anymore and he felt he didn't want to go on living without her. Oh, but uh, you said you wanted to know about the wigs. Well, I understand the police who investigated it all thought that four wigs were rather a lot. But perhaps people do have four wigs at a time. Uh, most of our customers had two wigs, one to wear and one to be sent back to be serviced, as it were. But of course I remember now. Lady Ravenscroft sent a French lady, a companion of some sort, very nice, spoke perfect English, and she explained that Lady Ravenscroft wanted two extra wigs, gave me the colours and the styles. We already had her measurements, of course. It must have been about a month later that I read about the suicide. They were different kinds of wigs, I presume? Yes. One had a very pretty grey streak, and there was one close-cropped with curls. I was sorry not to have seen Lady Ravenscroft again. I gathered that aside from her illness, she had become very distressed about a sister who had recently died. She'd always seemed such a happy woman before. It was all very sad. Tell me, do you think I'd find a wig useful? I wouldn't advise it, Mrs. Oliver. You have a splendid crop of hair, and I imagine you rather enjoy doing things with it. How clever of you. That's quite true. I do enjoy experimenting. It's such fun. You enjoy life altogether, don't you? Yes, I suppose I do. 
I enjoy the feeling that one never knows what might be going to happen next. And yet that feeling is just what makes so many people never stop worrying. Curious, isn't it? Mr. Gobi is a private investigator who has been working for me for many years, and during all that time he has never been known to address me directly. He, he delivers his meticulously detailed reports to the television set, or the clock, or a painting. On this particular occasion, his eyes were fixed firmly on the radiator. Mrs. Burton Cox, married first Mr. Cecil Aldbury, a manufacturer of buttons and MP for Little Stanmere. He was killed in a traffic accident four years later, and the only child of the marriage died of pneumonia six weeks afterwards. His estate was inherited by his wife, but was much smaller than had been expected. However, a much larger sum was left to uh, a Miss Kathleen Fenn an actress and a popular singer. Three years later, Mrs Burton Cox adopted a child which had been born to Miss Kathleen Fenn, whom Miss Fenn insisted was the son of the late Mr Aldbury. I've made extensive inquiries, and I find that this is somewhat difficult to confirm. Miss Fenn had enjoyed many relationships, usually with gentlemen of ample means and with well-filled wallets. But, after all, everyone has his price... Uh, I'm afraid I may have to send you quite a serious account for all this, but you did say you wanted it carried out quickly. It is of no consequence. Pray continue, Mr. Gobi. Ah. The widowed Mrs. Aldbury married again, a Major Burton Cox. Miss Kathleen Fenn, who by then had become a celebrated singer and a film star and was earning a considerable amount of money, wrote to Mrs. Burton Cox saying that she would be willing to take back the adopted child. But Mrs. Burton Cox would have none of it. By then, her husband, the Major, had been killed while they were out in Malaya and she'd been left moderately well off. I uh, have obtained a further piece of information, which is that Miss Kathleen Fenn, who died 18 months ago, left her entire and very considerable fortune to her natural son, known by the name of Desmond Burton Cox. And has the boy actually inherited the money? It was left in trust for him until he reached the age of 25. Does he know about the inheritance? No. By the terms of his mother's will, it was to be kept a secret from him until his 25th birthday. Does Mrs. Burton Cox know about it? Uh, yes, I believe she was informed by Miss Fenn's solicitor, in strict confidence. Hmm. Has the boy Desmond made a will? Ah, I had not anticipated that question, but I have the means of finding out. I'll come back to you on the matter. French companion, or whatever she was, who ordered the wigs. And this was only a few weeks before the tragedy occurred. Ah, that is very interesting, is it not? It seems perfectly normal to me. Wigs don't last forever, you know. Anyway, what about you? Have you done anything? Oh, you are always so sceptical, madame. You think that I do nothing but sit in my chair and repose myself. Well, I suppose you do do a bit of thinking while you're sitting there. Oh. But you don't go out and do things very often. In the near future, I may well go out and do things. And then you will be pleased with me. 
I may even cross the channel, though certainly not in a boat. I will call on you before I depart. Au revoir, madame. Garroy? Ah, my dear superintendent, it is Hercule Poirot. I do not derange you, I hope. Oh, I was about to go out into the garden and do a little deadheading, but it can wait. What can I do for you? There is something I want to ask you. About the Ravenscroft case? Yes. You said there was a dog that they used to take with them on their walks. Yes. There was mention of a dog. I seem to remember the housekeeper saying something about it. When they examined the body of Lady Ravenscroft, was there any sign that she had been bitten? Well, it's odd you should ask that, because I wouldn't have remembered it if you hadn't mentioned it. But there were a couple of scars. And come to think of it, the housekeeper said that the dog had attacked its mistress on more than one occasion. But it can't have been very serious. There was no question of tetanus injections or anything of that sort. What's the quotation? The dog it was that died. Ah, I would like to have known that dog. He was perhaps extremely intelligent. Now, what can you tell me about the Ravenscroft's housekeeper? I know nothing about her. I can't believe it. You're actually going to venture out and do something. In 24 hours' time, I take the plane to Geneva. You see, in the interest of this investigation, I not only venture out, but I fly. Much as I dread the experience. Good for you. And have you got an elephant in Switzerland? I hope I may have two. Well, I wish you better luck than I had. I don't know who I can go to to find out any more. By the way, madame, I think I now understand why Mrs. Burton Cox wanted you to find out about the death of the Ravenscrofts. You mean she wasn't just being a nosy park? Oh, no, no, no. It was all to do with her adopted son's inheritance. I didn't know he had one. Surely she is not all that rich. She is not, but his real mother was, and she left him the whole of her considerable fortune, which he will inherit on his 25th birthday. But my sources inform me that when he was 21, Mrs. Burton Cox persuaded him to make a will, leaving everything to her. Presumably at that time he had nobody else to leave it to, and of course he had no knowledge of the money his real mother had left to him. I am sure I'm being excessively dim-witted, but I can't see what any of this has to do with the Ravenscroft's suicide. Can you not? If Desmond were to marry Celia, he would almost certainly make a new will in her favour. And Mrs. Burton Cox wouldn't be able to get her claws on his real mother's fortune. She wanted to find out something that might prevent her son from marrying Celia. I think she hoped, and in all probability believed, that Lady Ravenscroft killed her husband and then shot herself. And that would discourage Desmond from wanting to marry Celia. Aha. Uh -huh. Oh, but even if Mrs. Burton Cox had frightened him off marrying her, in the course of time Desmond would have found some other girl, and what would happen then? Would Mrs. Burton Cox try to rake up some sinister episode in her past as well? I do not think she is a woman who thinks very far ahead. All she was concerned about was not to let her son's inheritance slip through her fingers. Oh, perhaps she was going to murder Desmond on the day after his 25th birthday. <laughs> Wouldn't put it past her. She's not exactly a nice woman, is she? No, she is not a nice woman. 
So that was why she fled that evening, because she was frightened you might find out what she was up to. And she was right. But it is time I left. Oh, I, I thought your flight wasn't until tomorrow. No, that is true. But there is a place I have to visit first, a place I must see with my own eyes. It is quite a way, but a car is waiting to take me there. It all sounds very mysterious, but I'm sure you'll tell me about it when the time is ripe. Mm -hmm. oh, here. Take a few apples with you. I always find them most sustaining on a long car journey. <laughs> the Ravenscroft's old house, Overcliff stood a few hundred yards from the edge of the sea. A little way inland I came to the churchyard where they were buried. A small bunch of wild flowers had been left on the grave. To the memory of Dorothea Jarrow, died September the 15th, 1960. Also of Margaret Ravenscroft, died October the 3rd, 1960, her sister. Also of Alistair Ravenscroft, died October the 3rd, 1960, husband of Margaret. In their deaths they were not divided. I believe I know what happened and why. I understand the pity and the tragedy, but I must bring it to light. One of the women in Switzerland must know the truth, but I wonder if I can persuade them to take the long journey back into the past and tell me. But from Mademoiselle Roussel in her comfortable flat overlooking the waters of the Lake Geneva, I learned nothing. She remembered Celia and Desmond with great affection and was delighted to recall that they had called her Maddie, but she could shed no light on the mystery of the Ravenscroft's death, for by then she had returned home to nurse her dying mother. I must go to Lausanne, she told me, for if anyone knew what had happened on that fatal day at Overcliff, it was Zelie, Mademoiselle Mohora. But would she tell me? I was expecting you, monsieur. Ah, mademoiselle. You received my letter? No. Our postal service has been very uncertain over the last few weeks. Oh. But I had a telephone call from a young man named Desmond Burton Cox to prepare me for your arrival. Good. He is intelligent and wastes no time. He was very insistent that I should come and see you. I gather there is a problem which concerns him and Celia. They are in love with one another and wish to marry. But difficulties are being put in their way. By his mother, I understand. She is trying to prevent the marriage because of doubts raised by the tragedy of Celia's parents' death. Celia has a godmother who was asked by Desmond's mother to try and find out the exact circumstances under which their suicides occurred. There is no sense in that. Celia could not give her the information because she knows nothing of what happened. Was the information deliberately kept from her? If you wish to put it like that, it was thought advisable. And did you approve of that decision, mademoiselle? It is difficult to be sure. Celia, as far as I know, was never troubled by it. She accepted her parents' death as she would have accepted a car crash or an aeroplane disaster. And she was not there when the tragedy occurred. But you were at Overcliff at the time of the Ravencroft's deaths? Yes, I was there. They went out for a walk, as was their habit, but they did not return. 
They were found dead, shot. The pistol was lying by them. It was one that belonged to General Ravenscroft and had always been kept in a drawer in his study. The finger marks of both of them were found on that weapon. There was no definite indication of which of them had held it last. The obvious solution was a double suicide. And you found no reason to disbelieve that? The police found no reason, or so I understand. Ah. So you can tell me nothing more, Mademoiselle Mourra? I fear not. It was a long time ago. You seem to remember it well enough. One cannot entirely forget such a sad thing. But you agreed that Celia should be told nothing of what had led up to her parents' deaths. There was nothing to tell. However, there are things that you do know, I think. If I do, I see no reason for bringing them back to mind now. Is it not better to leave matters as they are when they have been accepted for a long time? I believe I know what happened and what had been happening for some time before that. I will ask you one question. It is not a matter of direct information. What were the feelings of General Ravenscroft towards the twin sisters? I understand what you are saying, and I will tell you what I have heard. Dorothea was the one the general first fell in love with. Although she was deeply disturbed, she was exceedingly attractive, sexually attractive. He was passionately in love with her, and then... I don't know whether he discovered in her something which alarmed or repelled him... Perhaps he saw the beginnings of insanity. But his love went to the other sister, to Margaret. And once that had happened, he never wavered. He married her and was devoted to her. He relied on her and she on him. He was a very lovable man. Were you a little in love with him yourself, mademoiselle? What on earth do you mean by that? Oh, no, forgive me. I, I am not suggesting that you had um, an affair or anything of that kind, but from your tone of voice as you spoke of him, I suspect that you loved him. Yes. I suppose I did. There is nothing to be ashamed of in that. He trusted me and relied on me, but he was never in love with me. You can love and serve and still be happy. I wanted no more than I had. And you did what you could to help him through the most terrible crisis of his life. There are things you do not wish to tell me. But there are things I have deduced in investigating this case. And I know something of the tragedy of Dorothea Jarrow's life. The sorrow and the hatred. The streak perhaps of evil. The urge towards destruction. If she loved so passionately the man who forsook her for her sister, she must have felt hatred towards her. But what about Lady Ravenscroft? What did she feel about Dorothea? She loved her. She loved her with a deep and protective love. She wanted her to make her home with them. She wanted to try and save her from her fits of destructive rage. Mademoiselle, it is time for me to tell you what I believe happened on that last day and what had been happening in the weeks that led up to it. And if I will not listen to you, monsieur? You will listen to me. You may say it is all false, but I do not think you will. I believe with all my heart that what is needed now is the truth. There is a girl and a young man who love each other and who are frightened of the future because of what happened and what might be handed on from mother to daughter. So they must be told exactly what took place on that last day. 
Only then can they face the future without fear. So, will you listen to me, mademoiselle? Yes, Monsieur Poirot. I suspect that you understand more than I could have imagined anyone could know. Speak, and I will listen. Hello, Celia Ravenscroft speaking. Thank goodness I've caught you at home. I've had a message from Monsieur Poirot. He wants us all to go to Cornwall and get together on Tuesday afternoon at Overcliff. Overcliff? And you're to bring Desmond with you. It's most important that he's there as well. We're to attend what Monsieur Poirot calls a court of inquiry, and we're to meet outside your parents' old house. It's for sale, apparently. I've managed to get the key of the house from the estate agent. This is the third time in five years that the place has been up for sale. I don't imagine there'd be much to recapture there now, do you, Monsieur Poirot? Well, the houses sometimes retain an impression of the events that have taken place within them, but in this case... It's belonged to so many different people. It must have changed a lot. Oh, that must be Mrs. Oliver. She said she'd come by train and get a taxi from the station. Look, darling, she's brought someone with her. I am curious to see if you know who it is. Good afternoon, Monsieur Poirot. Good afternoon, Celia. It's silly. It is, isn't it? Is it really you? Yes, it is Zelly. Oh, it's so wonderful to see you. But how... Monsieur Poirot asked me to come. And I telephoned Zelly, if I may still call you that. Yes, you may always call me that. It recalls the happy times. But I'm not sure that I really wanted to come back to this place. When I met Mademoiselle at the station, she was looking up the time of the next train back. I am very glad you have come, Zelie. You are the only person who can tell us what really happened here. What we want to know, quite simply, is whether the death of my parents was suicide or murder. Please... If you do not mind, I would prefer not to go into the house. Could we all remain outside? We will sit down on the chairs beneath the beech tree and conduct our court of inquiry there. How civilized! Eh bien, Mademoiselle Celia, for you it has to be a definite choice, murder or suicide. What else is there? One of them must be true. I shall show you... That both are true. But there is more than that. According to my understanding of the tragedy, we have here a murder, a suicide, and what I shall call an execution. An execution? I don't understand. I will tell you what I believe happened and how I came to my conclusions. Two things stood out from all I had learned about the case, things that were very commonplace... Not evidence at all, you might think. The first was that among Lady Ravenscroft's effects, the police found four weeks. And the second was the behavior of the Ravenscroft's dog. The dog? What did the dog do? The dog bit its mistress. It was said to be devoted to her. But in the last weeks of her life, 
The dog turned on her more than once. Had she been maltreating it in some oh, way? Oh, no, 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 no. You see, that dog knew what no one else seemed to have perceived, that its mistress was not, in fact, its mistress. <sighs> you mean someone was impersonating my mother? Consider, mademoiselle, the housekeeper who was slightly blind and rather deaf. She saw a woman who wore Lady Ravenscroft's clothes and the most recognizable of her wigs. And something that Superintendent Garraway said gave me the vital clue. Same man, different hat. I thought, ah, same wig, different woman. The dog knew. He knew by what his senses told him that it was a different woman, not the mistress he loved, but someone he disliked and feared. And I thought, suppose that woman was not Margaret Ravenscroft, but her twin sister, Dorothea Jarrow. But that's impossible. She was dead. Patience, mademoiselle. You will soon understand. Remember that they were twins. At first, as children, they loved each other very devotedly, as twins do, did everything alike, had illnesses at the same time. And then, something happened that divided them forever. They fell in love with the same man. If you wish. Alistair Ravenscroft, as a young subaltern, fell in love with Dorothea Preston Gray. But, after a time, his affections turned to her sister, Margaret whom he married. And that led inevitably to an estrangement between the sisters. Margaret continued to be deeply attached to her twin, but Dorothea's feelings were close to hatred. Yes, I suppose I knew that, really. There was always a feeling of tension when she was around. Mm -hmm. Dorothea was a tragic figure. She had always been mentally unstable. And she developed, for some reason which has never been made clear, a dislike of small children. And there is every reason to believe that she killed her own small son. Oh, that's horrible. But why didn't they put her away? Oh, they did, even though there was no conclusive evidence against her. But in due course, the doctors decided that it was time for her to lead a normal life, and she went out to Malaya to join the Ravenscrofts. And the same thing happened again. A child was killed. One of my elephants told me about it. But a lot of people thought the Amar must have done it. It was clear she could not remain in Malaya, and the Ravenscrofts brought her back to England, where, once again, she was placed under psychiatric care. And once again, she appeared to be cured. But Lady Ravenscroft thought that her sister should stay with them so they could watch closely for any danger signs. I do not think the general approved. So are you saying it was Dorothea who shot both the Ravenscrofts? No, 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 no. That is not what I am saying. I believe that what happened was this. Dorothea killed her sister while they were walking together along the cliff path. She pushed her over... And she fell to her death. Oh, no. Oh, terrible. But you must have been here when it happened, Zelie. You must have known. Yes, Celia, I knew. The Ravenscroft's had been growing increasingly anxious about Dorothea for some time. She had made several attempts to harm little Edward, and he had been sent to stay with friends before the school term began. And did they feel I'd be safer out of the way as well? 
That was part of the reason why they wanted you to go to Switzerland. After you had settled in, I came back to Overcliff. The General, Lady Ravenscroft, Dorothy and I were alone in the house. The housekeeper had taken to living in a cottage in the village. And how was Dorothea? She seemed strangely quiet and withdrawn. And then it happened. The two sisters went out together, but Dorothea returned alone. Her cheeks were flushed and she seemed in a highly nervous state. She said Molly wanted to be by herself for a while and would return later. We all sat down together at the tea table. It was then that the General Ravenscroft noticed that there was blood on her right hand and asked if she had had a fall. She said she must have scratched her hand on a rose bush. But there were no roses growing along the cliffs. General Ravenscroft went out and I followed him. We were certain that something had happened to his wife. We found her on a ledge some way down the cliff. She had been battered with rocks and stones, but she was just about alive. We did not dare move her. And then she opened her eyes. She, she didn't know what she was doing. She didn't know, Alistair. Dear. She'll never know the thing she does. She can't help it. Promise me you won't let the police take her. Promise me she'll not be put on trial. I may not be. Don't let her be shut up for life like a criminal. Hide my body away somewhere. Molly! I love you more than anything in the world. If I could live for you, I would. But I know I'm dying. Promise me, both of you. That you will save Dolly. <laughs> Promise me for all the love we have for each other. She died a few minutes later. We hid her body in a place a little further along the cliff and covered it up as best we could. And then we went back to the house. Dolly was waiting for us. She was desperate with fright. But at the same time, she was grotesquely proud of what she'd done. She took you away from me, Alistair. You belong to me. But she took you away and made you marry her. And so I had to kill her. I've been wanting to do it for years. I wanted to destroy her, to see her broken and bleeding. But I didn't want you to find her. What are you going to do? I can't be shut up again. Don't let them do that to me. Say it was an accident. She just fell down the cliff. Don't tell them I did it. It's a horrible story. Yes, it is a horrible story. But it's better to know. My poor mother, so devoted and so understanding and forgiving. So what did you do, Zelly? It was quite simple, really. Your father remembered that years before, Dolly sometimes used to walk in her sleep. And they were identical twins, after all. We just say that it's Dorothea's body, and that she walked in her sleep and fell to her death. It's the only thing we can do. And Dorothea will have to pretend she's Molly. It's the only way I can think of to save her, if she's capable of carrying it off. So how did you manage it? 
We took Dorothea to a deserted cottage that we knew of, and the general told everyone that his wife had gone into a private hospital, suffering from shock after the discovery of her sister's death. And then, after a week, we brought Dorothea back, brought her back as her sister, wearing Lady Ravenscroft's clothes and one of her wigs. But surely everyone must have noticed the change in her behavior. I mean, they must have been very different. Everyone thought she was suffering from shock. It seemed quite normal. That was the horrible part of it. But how did she manage to keep it up? It must have been dreadfully difficult. Oh, no, she did not find it difficult at all. She had got what she wanted, you see. She had got your father. How could he bear it? He saw it as his duty. And he told me exactly what he proposed to do. There's only one course open to me. I promised Margaret I would not hand her sister over to the police and that it should never be known that she was a murderess. But Dolly has got to be... stopped from living. If she's allowed near children, she's bound to attack them and I can't keep watch on her night and day. You must understand, Zelly, that because of what I have to do, I must pay with my own life too. I shall live here quietly for a little with Dolly, and, and then there will be another accident. I didn't understand what he meant. I thought he was talking about another sleepwalking accident. What the world will be led to believe is that Molly and I have both committed suicide. I don't suppose anyone will ever work out a reason for it. But you must help me, Zelly. You're the only person who really loves me and loves Molly and loves the children. If Dolly has to die, I'm the person who must carry it out. She won't be unhappy or frightened. I shall shoot her and then myself. I shall arrange for both our fingerprints to be on the revolver. Justice has to be done. And I have to be the executioner. The thing I want you to know is that I did... And still do love them both. Molly more than my life. Dolly, because I pity her so much for her terrible affliction. But you must promise me that the children will never be told. And now I have broken that promise. I meant never to reveal what had happened to you or to anyone else. But Monsieur Poirot made me feel differently. I am sorry you had to break your word, but you have lifted an enormous burden from us. Yes, we shall be eternally grateful to you, Zelly. But I can tell you one thing, Celia. My mother is never going to hear anything about this. No one must ever hear about it. I think perhaps you should know, Desmond, why your stepmother was so anxious to come between you and Celia and to try and frighten you away. You see, your real mother who died not very long ago, left all her money to you. And when you reach the age of 25, you will come into a considerable fortune. And did my stepmother know about this? She most certainly did. Was that why she persuaded me to make a will in her favor, so that she could keep the money in the family? But that's ridiculous. How was she going to go about it? Put arsenic in your cocoa? Well, I mustn't be too hard on her. After all, she did adopt me and bring me up and all the rest of it. I'll settle some of the money on her. But now that our anxieties are all behind us, I think we should get married as soon as possible. Yes, we can do that now. 
Thanks to Zelie and Mrs. Oliver and Monsieur Poirot. Hmm. I now know that my father and mother were splendid and courageous people, and I'm proud to be their daughter. And they would be proud of you. Well, now I think we should go. Thank you, all of you. We'll never forget what you've done for us. Au revoir, Zelie. We shall send you an invitation to our wedding. It was very brave of you to break the promise you made to my father. At least now I know that I did not do any harm. And I too am glad that the truth has come to light at last. Bye. Thanks again. Goodbye. Au revoir, dear children. Even if you are not children anymore. Tell me, Monsieur Poirot. Will you have to inform anyone about this? There is one person I might tell, but strictly in confidence. He is a retired police officer. I know he will not feel it his duty to interfere with what time has wiped clear. So the only record will be what is carved on their gravestones. You do not blame me, mademoiselle, for coming to you and persuading you to do what you have done? No, I am glad. You are right. They are very charming, those children. And I'm sure they will be happy. We are standing where two lovers lived and where two lovers died. His was a brave act, an honorable one. He continued to love Dolly as well as Molly, did he not? Oh, yes, right up to the end. And that's why he was willing to save Dolly from prison. It was a kind of love death for her. I have often wondered which of them he loved best. <sighs> We must leave this place and drive back to London. It is time to return to everyday life and to put these tragedies and loves behind us. Mm. Elephants can remember. But thankfully, we are mere human beings. And human beings, if they choose, can forget. Agatha Christie's Elephants Can Remember, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat, Ariadne Oliver, Julia McKenzie, Zelly, Alexandra Bastido, Celia, Rachel Babbage, Desmond, Ivan Meredith, Mrs. Burton Cox, Paula Jacobs, Julia, Jane Wenham, Nanny, Barbara Atkinson, Mrs. Buckle, Elizabeth Proud, Mrs. Rosenthal, Jill Balkan. Chief Superintendent Garraway, Trevor Cuthbertson, Mr. Gobi, Stephen Thorne, George, Patrick Garland. Other parts were played by Elizabeth Proud and Stephen Thorne. The music was composed by Tom Smale. Elephants Can Remember was dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. <laughs>